Welcome to the Whitefields Community Church Podcast. For more information about our church, including location and service times, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. If you are blessed by this message, please consider sharing it with others and leaving a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. Please open in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We're in the middle of a series in which we're studying verse by verse through the book of 2 Corinthians in a series called Strength in Weakness. So would you please bow your heads with me and let's pray as we open God's word this morning. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you love us and you love us enough to speak to us, to show us your ways, Lord, to lead us and guide us. And Lord, truly, that's our desire, to walk in your ways and follow you. Lord, so we ask that as we study your word, help us to understand it. But help us to go beyond just understanding what it says. Lord, we pray that it would sink from our heads down into our hearts, that it would transform our lives, transform our minds, and change the way we live as we leave this place. And so, Lord, we ask that your word would have all of its effect in our lives by your spirit this morning as we study it. So, Lord, we're here. We're listening. We ask you speak to us and help us to receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was the middle of summer in Hungary, the middle of July, which meant that it was very hot and very humid, and it was the first day of our week-long summer camp outreach, which was the outreach we did every year to high school-age kids who lived in our local area there where we lived in Hungary, and we had a lot of kids signed up for the camp, and as people began to arrive on that first day of camp, I noticed that this one guy was walking towards the registration table. He had signed up to be a helper, and as he was approaching the table, I noticed something odd about him. He was carrying only a laptop bag. This is odd because usually, I mean, this is a week-long camp. People generally bring suitcases and bags and, and things like that. So I asked this guy, I said, hey, welcome, good to see you. Hey, where's your clothes? And he said, oh, yeah, I didn't bring any clothes. I just brought this laptop. And I said, well, are you going to be okay? I mean, you need some clothes, right? And he said, no, no, I'll be fine. I've got the clothes I'm wearing, and I'll, I'll be set for the week turns out he was fine. It was the rest of us who were not fine, you see. And I'm not kidding. You see, at camp, uh, it was hot out. There's no air conditioning there. And uh, we're just playing sports and games, getting sweaty, running around all week long in the heat. And over the course of a week, this guy's clothes literally changed color. And uh, he developed an odor that was so strong that everybody who's staying in his room asked to be placed in a different room. And then part of the camp included group time in the mornings. And so the kids who were in his group, they refused to attend group time with him because of the odor, right? The smell, it was getting really strong. By the last day of camp, I mean, it was just increasing every single day. The smell was so strong that like, even if you were outside, you could smell him from a really far distance away. And you know, they say that smells imprint themselves in your memory more than any of your other senses. And I think that's true because even to this day, like years later, I cannot get that smell out of my memory. Smells are powerful and they leave a lasting impression on you. And the aroma that was emanating from this young man after a few days at camp, rather than helping him to be an effective leader and counselor at the camp, it actually hurt his ability to help at the camp because the kids didn't want to be around him. Now, here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 
Paul the Apostle is going to talk about the aroma that surrounds your life. Just as smells leave a lasting impression on people, the question is, what impression are you leaving on the people you encounter? What we're going to see is that it is possible in Jesus for your life to have a good aroma even when you're going through very difficult things. Hard times don't have to turn you into a sour person. Because if you're following Jesus, then even in your trials, you can still be triumphant. And as you trust in and follow Jesus, he will make your life into a sweet-smelling fragrance which testifies of his work to all those you encounter. The title of today's message is Triumph in the Trials. Triumph in the Trials. And here's what we're going to see here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. We're going to see that even in your trials, you can be triumphant as you follow and serve Jesus. So I'll give you that sentence one more time. That'll be our guide and our outline that we'll follow as we study through these verses. But it's also a standalone sentence, a takeaway truth. I'd love it if you'd write it down in your notes when somebody asks you later, hey, what you guys talk about at church rather than saying, well, I don't know. You, you can tell them. Here's what we talked about. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 17, we saw even in your trials, you can be triumphant as you follow and serve Jesus. So let's look at the first part of that. Even in your trials. In verse 12 of chapter 2, here in 2 Corinthians, Paul the Apostle writes, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, so let's stop there. When I came to Troas, you see, Paul had a long and sometimes complicated relationship with the Christians in the city of Corinth. Paul had founded the church there in the Greek city of Corinth on his second missionary journey. He had been their first pastor. He had lived there for at least a year and a half, maybe even longer. But eventually, Paul moved on to start other churches, to preach the gospel elsewhere. And when he moved and left that city, he raised up local leaders, handed the church over to their care, and, and then he left. But he didn't stop communicating with them. He kept in touch with them over the years through a series of visits in person, like personal visits, and through a series of written correspondence and letters. And two of the letters that Paul wrote to the Corinthians are recorded for us here in the New Testament. Now, we know for sure, even though we call this First and Second Corinthians, well, you need to know, we know for sure that Paul wrote more than just these two letters to the Corinthians that are, that are recorded here in our Bibles. You see, it was, uh, we're told even in these letters themselves about other letters that we don't have recorded for us. So why do we only have these two? Well, the reason is because the early Christians, as they read these letters, perhaps even Paul the Apostle himself, as he was writing these letters, they discerned that these two letters, amongst all the other correspondence, these two letters were uniquely inspired by the Holy Spirit. And they were more than just letters. They were actually holy scripture that had been given to the church by God. And so they preserved them in a special way. Now, despite Paul's relationship with the Corinthians, his long storied relationship, there were certain people in the Corinthian church who were very critical of Paul and they were very vocal in their criticism of him. 
One of the things that people criticized Paul for there in Corinth was they accused him of lacking integrity. You see, at one point, Paul had gone to visit the Corinthians in person. He had gone to pay a visit and and be with them, and that visit did not go very well. In chapter 2, verse 1, we read about a visit that Paul made, and he says that it was a painful visit. Well, after that painful visit, Paul promised that he would come and visit them again so they could kind of settle these things that they had been talking about and debating. Kind of they could continue their discussion of these issues on which they weren't seeing eye to eye. But then, as time went on, as Paul traveled, even though he had said that he was going to go and return to Corinth and visit them again in person, Paul did not. He changed his plans and he decided to write them a letter instead of coming to them in person. Now that letter, we're told in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, we read about that letter and we see that it was kind of a, a scathing letter, right? Paul wrote them very directly and kind of in a confrontary way, telling them about some things about which he thought they needed to repent. Now, the fact that Paul changed his plans, the fact that he said he was going to go to Corinth, but then he didn't, That was just more fuel for the fire of criticism for those who were already predisposed to be critical of Paul. They accused him of not being a man of his word, of being a man who says one thing and does another, who doesn't stick to his word and follow through. And so as they questioned his integrity, along with that, they also questioned his spiritual authority. How can he really be a man of God if he says one thing and does another? How can he really be an apostle? And that's why here in chapter 2, starting in verse 12, Paul is explaining what happened during his travels and why he didn't come back to Corinth as he had originally said that he would. So he says here, let's go back to verse 12. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, look what he says, a door was opened for me in the Lord there in Troas. So when Paul uses this phrase, an open door, this is a phrase he uses two or three times in the New Testament, and it always refers to a significant kind of extraordinary opportunity, a very special opportunity he had from God to preach the gospel. Notice he says there, it was an opportunity in the Lord. This opportunity was given by God. And, and frankly, Paul is saying this, look, I had an opportunity to preach the gospel from the Lord, or I could have gone to Corinth to like argue and bicker with you guys some more. And if I have to choose between the two, sorry, but I'm going to choose preaching the gospel in Troas every single time, as opposed to just hanging out with, with you guys, right? So check out what then Paul says in verse 13. He says, even though, now this is back in chapter or verse 12, he says, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, he says, my spirit was not at rest there in Troas because I did not find my brother Titus. So I took leave of them and I left Troas and went on to Macedonia. Now this is interesting because it means this. Even though Paul had this unique and amazing opportunity in Troas to preach the gospel, Even though he was even convinced that this opportunity was from the Lord, Paul didn't stay in Troas. He didn't take that opportunity because he couldn't find his friend Titus. It's kind of surprising if you think about it, really, because I often tend to think about Paul as being this like superhero-esque type of character, right? A person of incredible strength, who was never afraid, who would face any trial or any hardship. And yet here we read about a time where Paul is admitting that he gave up a significant opportunity, which he admits was from the Lord, 
because he couldn't find his friend. Now, we see a little bit of Paul's humanity here, don't we? Maybe Paul was worried about his friend. He wanted to make sure that Titus was okay, that he was safe, that he was doing okay. So he left to take care of Titus. Or maybe, we don't know, but maybe it was rather that Paul was distressed because he was lonely. He wanted Titus's companionship. And that's why he left Troas to go and find him. But whatever the reason... Paul couldn't find Titus in Troas, and that made him upset. And as a result, he left the city in spite of this amazing opportunity he had to preach the gospel, which was from the Lord. And he went to Macedonia to find Titus. Now, that's an interesting verse for a couple of reasons. Let me tell you one of the other reasons it's interesting. One reason it's interesting is because after this verse begins a section called the Great Digression. So from chapter 2, verse 14, all the way through chapter 7, verse 4, is this, this section of this book, which is called The Great Digression. Here's why. Flip ahead if you have your Bible in your hand. Flip ahead. Keep a finger there in 2 Corinthians 2 and flip ahead to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Here's what you'll notice. In 2 Corinthians 2, verse 13, Paul says, And then I departed for Macedonia. And then in chapter 7, verse 5, he says, so then when I arrived in Macedonia. In other words, he's, it's a continuous thought that's going, which means that what happens in between those two verses is kind of a digression. It's a parenthetical statement. He's taking a break from telling the story of explaining what happened on his travels and why he didn't go to Corinth. And he's taking a moment to just share his heart. That's what he's doing in these verses during this great digression. He's sharing his heart about what it means for him to serve the Lord in the midst of troubles, weaknesses, and distresses. Now, this great digression, I got to tell you, this is one of the most thrilling, exciting, rich passages of the entire New Testament. For me personally, this is one of my favorite sections in the entire Bible. And so over the next few weeks, you're really in for a treat as we study these passages. But the other reason this is interesting is because, remember, people in Corinth were critical of Paul. And the thing they criticized him for is they claimed not only was he a man who lacked integrity, but they said that he was weak. You see, they pointed out the fact that he was often sick and that he was kind of prone to misfortune, right? If something bad could happen, it was going to happen. If he met a snake, the snake would probably bite him. If he rode on a ship, that ship's probably going to crash, right? Like if he meets a group of people, they're probably going to beat him half to death. And so they looked at these things. They said, this guy, Paul, look at all this misfortune in his life. Look at all these troubles he faces. And they said, you know what? That's a sign that God is not really with him. He's not truly a man of God, not even a real apostle, because if he was truly a man of God, if God was with him, if he was anointed, then he wouldn't have all these weaknesses and struggles in his life. If God was with him, you know what he'd be more like? He would be more triumphant. He would be more victorious, they said. They would have looked at the fact that Paul left Troas even though the Lord had given him a great open door for effective ministry, and they would have said, see, this is exactly what we're talking about. If Paul was truly a man of God, if he was a real apostle, then he would have stuck it out in Troas and preached the gospel rather than leaving to go look for his friend. A stronger person would have stayed, they might have said. So here's my question for you. Was it a mistake for Paul to leave Troas to go looking for Titus rather than taking advantage of this open door that God provided him to preach the gospel? 
Maybe. Uh, I don't know. But certainly, those in Corinth who were already predisposed to be critical of Paul, they would have taken it that way. They would have criticized him for doing this. They would have called him weak and lacking in character and resolve. And I wonder how many of you, let me just ask this question, how many of you in a moment of weakness have done something that you shouldn't have done? Don't raise your hands because I know, I know that it's all of you because it's me too. In a moment of weakness, you've done something that you wish you hadn't done, something that you regret. I know that's true of me more times than I'm, I'd like to admit. So what do we do with that? What do we do with those moments where in a moment of weakness, we do something we shouldn't have done, where, where we have regrets that we live with? Maybe you made a bad decision, or maybe you just failed to make the right decision. L listen, what if you failed to walk through the doors that God opened for you? What if you failed to walk through the door that God wanted you to walk through? Does that mean that you have derailed God's plan for your life? Or let me put it this way. Are your weaknesses and your struggles, the trials you face in life, are those signs that God's blessing is not upon you? Are those signs that you're doing something wrong or perhaps even that God is punishing you? Well, that brings us to the next part of our sentence, which is this. Even in your trials, you can be triumphant. Even in your trials, you can be triumphant. Here's what it says in verse 14. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. Recently, over the past two weeks, I was away with my family. I, we went on a road trip to California. I was speaking at a conference there, and so we decided to make kind of a family vacation out of it. We reserved hotels along the way, and we had this plan. We're going to go to Moab, and then we're going to go to the Grand Canyon, and we're going to go to Zion, and then we're going to go to this conference. Well, on the first day of our trip, we were in Moab, and our transmission went out on our car. Just kind of no warning when we left the house, and by the time we got to Moab, it was toast. And it was so bad that actually the car was totaled and I had to buy a whole new car and I was stuck out there in Utah. And then, so, so finally I, I get rid of the old car, buy a new car, you know, and then I would drive overnight to get to the Grand Canyon because we got this hotel reserved there. And then at the Grand Canyon, I lost my wallet. So I had, I had no wallet for the rest of the trip. And then the day before I was scheduled to speak at this conference, I left my suitcase in another city in the place that we had spent the night the night before. So when things like that happen, I mean, what, what are some of the responses we generally have? We, we generally wonder like, oh, you know, what's going on, God, right? God, are you punishing me? Did I do something wrong? Like, did I take a left when I should have taken a right? Did, it, did you remove your hand of blessing and protection from my life? Well, so far in this letter, Paul's been telling us, about all his struggles. He's been very open about telling us about his struggles and the trials he faced, and even about his weaknesses and possibly even some missteps that he's made along the way. He's told us about his afflictions in Asia. He's told us about the criticisms he faced, the attacks on his integrity, and even his failure to take advantage of a unique opportunity to preach the gospel in Troas. It all sounds pretty depressing, really, right? And you wonder, how could God possibly be at work in the midst of all these trials and turmoil that's going on in Paul's life? And yet, look at what Paul says. 
here in verse 14. Thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. What Paul is saying is that despite all the difficulties and trials you may face in your life, despite your weaknesses, despite even your missteps and your mistakes, in Jesus, if you are following and serving him, God is bringing about triumph in spite of these trials. Isn't that incredible? Now, think about it. If you look throughout the Bible, you know what you'll notice? All of the beautiful people in the Bible, right? The people whose lives we like and want to be like. All the beautiful people in the Bible, almost without exception, they suffered greatly. I'll just give you a few examples. Moses stuttered. Jacob limped. Tamar was assaulted. Ruth was widowed in her youth. David was betrayed by friends and family. Sarah was infertile. Mordecai was bullied. Hosea's wife was unfaithful. Elijah battled depression. Gideon doubted God, as did Thomas. All the prophets were persecuted. Mary and Joseph had to flee from a corrupt government that wanted to kill their child. John Mark got fired by the Apostle Paul. Peter denied Jesus in a moment of fear. Mary and Martha had to bury their brother who died an untimely death. Jesus wept and was rejected and suffered. And yet in spite of all of this suffering for each of these individuals, do you realize God was doing a triumphant work in the midst of their trials? God was leading them into triumph ultimately through Christ. And you know what? If you are following and serving Jesus, you can be confident that the same will be true of you in your life. You see, if you experience trials in your life, you're in good company. Trials, hardships, and pain, they don't mean that God has abandoned you or that God isn't with you. Look throughout the Bible. Rather, we, we follow a God who himself entered into the trials of this world in order to bring about triumph and redemption on our behalf. If you follow Jesus, you can be sure that you are walking in that triumph, in his victory, the victory he won and earned through his life, death, and resurrection. And you know what? This word triumph is a really interesting word. It's used two places in the New Testament. Paul uses it here in verse 14. It specifically refers to what is called a triumph parade. So if you go to Rome, even today, they have these arches of triumph. And perhaps the most significant one is the Arch of Titus. And on the Arch of Titus, there are murals and mosaics that are drawn and carved into the arch. And you know what they describe? They describe the triumph of Titus, which was a parade that was held in Rome after Titus conquered Jerusalem. So the point is this, a triumph parade. It was a Roman victory parade. So if a Roman general went out to battle in a foreign land and he was victorious and he subdued the people of that land, then what would happen is they would bring back the captive leaders and the captive soldiers and they would have a triumphant victory parade through the cities of Rome, uh, through the city of Rome. In a triumph parade, the victorious general would lead the procession. He would ride in a chariot, followed by his soldiers. And along with them, they would bring pictures and artifacts from the place that they had, they had conquered. And they would carry them through the streets in an act of triumph. And, and along with them, not only would there be soldiers, but there would also be priests. These priests would be swinging these metal canisters, which were burning incense, filling the air with the smell of that incense. And then behind the soldiers, the victorious 
victorious soldiers would be the prisoners of war, the defeated leaders, the defeated soldiers uh, from that land. And they would be bound with chains. And they would be being led in a train, led to be thrown into prison and most likely to be executed. And so Paul is painting this picture for us here. And he's saying, this is what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian means that you are part of this victorious procession with Jesus as our victorious general. He has won the great battle. He defeated the ultimate enemies of sin and death. He's been victorious over Satan and every force of evil. And now we get to enjoy the spoils of his victory. Now imagine if you are part of that victorious procession. And during the procession, what if you got a stomachache? Well, you'd still be victorious, right? I mean, you're in the procession. It's already happened. So let's imagine, you, even worse, what if you broke your leg during the procession? Or worse, what if they had to carry you on a stretcher through that procession? Well, even still, despite those troubles and hardships, the battle's already been won. You're already victorious. The battle's been fought and won. And that's what Paul is saying here. This is what it means to be a Christian. Whatever troubles, trials, weaknesses, difficulties you face in this life, the ultimate battle has already been won by Jesus. Your destiny and your identity are secure in him already because of what he accomplished on the cross. And here's the point. Even if, even if Paul did make a mistake by not staying in Troas. Even if Paul did make a mistake by not going to Corinth as he had said that he would, he was still, wherever he went, part of this triumphal procession, following Jesus, and God could use it for good wherever he was at. You know, sometimes I talk to people who get really worried they get really worried about whether they are following God's plan for their life. Maybe some of you, that, that's your story, right? You're like, I was supposed to turn left in Albuquerque, but I went right. Uh, I messed up God's plan for my life. I didn't go to the right college. Maybe, maybe, I, maybe I shouldn't have taken that job that I took. Maybe I should have married that other person instead, right? Maybe I shouldn't have moved to this city. And now I've done it. I messed it up. I've ruined God's plan. Listen, if that's you, let me first of all tell you this. If you're worried that you messed up God's plan by your actions, I just got to tell you, you're not that powerful. And that's good news. Guys, that's good news. Listen, but also notice what the Bible is teaching here. What this means is that wherever you are at right now, if you are following Jesus, God will lead you in triumph. His victory parade is working its way throughout the whole earth. And if you are following Jesus, then you're part of it. And what that means is this. You can be confident and unafraid as you go about your life seeking to follow Jesus. What if you make a big decision and you make the wrong decision and it doesn't work out? What if you make a mistake? What if you step out and take a risk and you fail? What if you experience pain and hardship in your life? Throughout all of these things, God will still be leading you in triumph, even through those hardships and difficulties as you follow Jesus. Because of Jesus' victory over sin and death, Paul the Apostle tells us that we are more than conquerors. We cannot lose. We've already won. We have nothing to fear, nothing to be afraid of, because for those who are in Christ, God is working all things together for good. And here's what's particularly incredible. 
Do you remember those people? I gave you that list of people in the Bible, the beautiful people who went through hardship and pain. You know what's incredible? It's not just that they experienced triumph in spite of their pain. For most of them, in almost every case, their trials were the very thing that God used in order to bring about more triumph, more victory, more glory, more joy. You see, Paul's going to talk about that as we get into kind of our last section here uh, of this passage. And that brings us to the last part of our sentence. Even in your trials, you can be triumphant as you follow and serve Jesus. That's an important part of this, as you follow and serve Jesus. Look at the rest of verse 14. Oh, we'll start it over. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Remember, in that Roman victory parade, it included those priests who would be carrying those metal canisters burning incense. And as, so as the parade passed by, you wouldn't just see the parade, you would smell the parade, right? It would leave that lasting impression on your memory, uh, in your sense of smell. You see, we who are Christians, in other words, as we go about our lives, following Jesus in his victory parade, as we're spreading the aroma of Christ everywhere we go. Do, do you remember our, my friend who only brought one pair of clothes to summer camp? Smells leave a lasting impression on people's memories. So the question is this, what kind of impression are you leaving on the people who encounter you? What is the smell that is exuding from your life? Is it the smell of Christ? Can they smell that you've been around him? Has his aroma stuck to you? Or is there other smells in your life that are drowning that one out? You know, I have some friends who are from India, and they make the best food in the world. My best man in my wedding was an Indian guy. And the more you hang out with them at their house, especially their parents' house, the more you hang out with them, the more the smell of those spices will stick to your clothes. And then whenever you leave that place, guess what? You carry that aroma with you wherever you go. Well, in the same way, the way to increase the aroma of Christ surrounding your life is by spending time with Jesus in his word, with his body, in his presence, in prayer and worship, as you spend time around Jesus, the aroma of Christ will cling to you all the more in an increasing way. But check out what else Paul says here about the aroma of Christ that we carry as Christians. Verse 15, he says, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Verse 16, to one, a fragrance from death to death, to the other, a fragrance from life to life. Imagine you were part of that Roman victory parade and you could smell the incense permeating the air. How would that make you feel to smell that smell of the incense in the air? Well, it would really depend on where you are in the parade, wouldn't it? Because if you're part of the victorious procession following your victorious general, that smell is the smell of victory. And therefore, it would be the sweetest smell you'd ever smelled in your life. But on the other hand, if you were one of the prisoners of war, one of the captives being led in chains to your execution, that smell of the incense, the same smell, would be the most troubling smell you'd ever smelled in your life. In the same way, the message of the gospel is the message of life to those who trust in Jesus and the message of death 
to those who reject it. You see, for those who trust, who choose to trust in themselves, in their own abilities, in their own goodness, rather than in Jesus and his merits, the gospel message testifies to their lostness rather than their salvation. But here's the good news. That doesn't have to be you. You can join Jesus' triumphal procession. It's not too late. You can say, Jesus, I want you to be my captain. I want to reap the benefits of the victory you won. I don't want to fight against you any longer. I want to join you in that victory train and follow you. When you do that, the smell of that incense is no longer the aroma that signals your judgment and perdition but it becomes instead the smell of salvation and victory in him. And God then begins to give you and use you to spread the aroma of Christ throughout the world. And you know what? Sometimes the way that that aroma of Christ exudes from your life most powerfully is when you are broken. Let me give you an example. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, there's this story about a woman who came to Jesus and she brought this very expensive perfume. And this perfume, it says, was contained within an alabaster box. And it says that she brought the perfume to Jesus, to where he was, and she broke the alabaster box and poured out the expensive perfume on Jesus' head. Now, what this woman did was an act of worship. And Jesus was honored by it. But here's the thing I want you to see. In order for the sweet-smelling perfume to be released, what had to happen? The jar that it was contained in had to be broken. In chapter 4 of this same letter, 2 Corinthians, we'll get there soon, but just a preview. Paul's going to tell us, he says, you know what your physical bodies, you know what our physical bodies are like? They're like jars of clay. Right? God created us from the dust of the earth, and when these bodies die, they will return to the earth. But right now, while we have life and breath in these bodies, you know what these bodies are like? They're like vessels. They're vessels that God wants to fill with things. And one of the things he wants to fill, with the, fill these vessels with is this aroma, the sweet-smelling aroma of Christ, that you would carry it with you wherever you go. But in the same way that that alabaster jar had to be broken in order for the sweet smell of the perfume to come out, in our lives, it's often when we are broken that the aroma of Christ is most evident, exuding from our lives most powerfully for others to see and to notice. Sometimes it's when we face trials and hardships, disappointments and difficulties, and yet we still have hope because even in the trials, we're triumphant in Christ. Oftentimes, those are the times when people can see most clearly that Jesus makes a difference in your life. Oftentimes, that's when the aroma of Christ is strongest in your life. Friends, let me tell you this. If you don't remember anything else I say, take note of this. Faith does not look like self-sufficient strength. Do you know that? Faith is not about self-sufficient strength. You know what faith is? Faith is trusting in God's strength in the midst of your weakness. 
I'll say it again. Faith is trusting in God's strength in the midst of your weakness. And God will often use your trials, hardships, and difficulties to bring about more triumph, more victory, more glory, and more joy for you and for others as you walk with him. And as Paul is reflecting on this amazing truth, look at what he says at the end of verse 16. He says, who is sufficient for these things? How can, how can any of us be worthy of this amazing grace? How can any of us be worthy that God would include us in what he's doing in the world? It's incredible, he says. And then he concludes in verse 17. For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, commissioned by God, in sight of God, we speak in Christ. God's grace is not based on our worthiness. But rather, God calls us and commissions us in spite of our unworthiness. That's the message of grace. First, he calls us to himself, and then he calls us to be part of what he's doing in the world. And therefore, Paul says, since that's true, we cannot be peddlers of God's word. That word peddler, it refers to someone who would do shady business in order to line their own pockets. It would refer to, for example, somebody who would water down wine or adulterate a product in order to make more profit for themselves. And Paul's saying that's exactly what some people do when it comes to the word of God. Some people will water it down. Others will add something to it. They'll adulterate it, change it because they want to use it for their own personal gain. But Paul says we can't do that. We've been commissioned by God not to use this for our own benefit, but to do what he's called us to do, which is to follow and serve Jesus faithfully. Friends, the good news of the gospel is that God loves you. Do you know that? God loves you, and your life matters to him. It matters to him so much that he became one of us in order to redeem us. And Jesus lived the life that you and I should have lived a life without sin, a life of perfect obedience to the Father. And he died the death that you and I should have died, a death in our place for our sins to take the judgment that we deserved. And in his death and through his resurrection, he defeated death and conquered over it. And right now, you know what? His victory train is going throughout the entire world, inviting people to join in. And he extends his hand to you today. He invites you to join him in his victory. And as you do, not only will he redeem your soul, but you know what else? He will redeem your life. He will make you triumphant even in your trials. He will give you a purpose and a calling for your life to spread that aroma of Christ to the world. And I encourage you today to say yes to him in all of those areas. Friends, even in your trials, you can be triumphant as you follow and serve Jesus. Would you please bow your heads with me and let's pray. You have been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Make sure to tap the subscribe button if you would like to have new messages delivered to your device every week when they are released. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support our ministry, you can do so by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or by giving a donation to our church on our website at whitefieldschurch.com.